If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing, a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. On this podcast, we will continue our conversation with Pastor Jedediah Sharmer from Resurrection Church in Monticello, Minnesota. Jedediah shares more memories and thoughts from his time working with Pastor Lee. So Jedediah, another gift of Pastor Lee's was his ability to tell stories very well. I think you're right. There's a lot of different forms of preaching or a lot of different ways people enter into preaching, and some are very exegetical. Let's explain the definition of words. Uh, Let's talk through the meaning of the context uh, and are very logical through that. But if you look at how Jesus told stories, and and Pastor Lee wasn't Jesus, but he did take a note out of Jesus' book, Jesus was consistently telling stories. That's how you teach. You teach with parables, you teach with examples, you use people around you. The woman at uh, who's giving her last two coins, he sees that and he makes a, a teaching out of it. Lee was a storyteller. And that's one thing that has really played off on me as I've become hopefully a better preacher in his shadow is that stories are important and stories need to lead and they need to close your time. Often I would be sitting in the front row listening to Pastor Lee preach and he would he would burn to me. He'd burn three, four, five, six stories that I could make individual sermons out of. And I thought, why are you throwing those all out in the same sermon? Boy, you could make a whole series out of that. Or, or you should have told me that story so I can use it for the next sermon. Because as a young guy, you don't have such a deep well of stories. A man who's been been just gathering those stories over a lifetime has a whole pile of them to share. And so on a Sunday morning when three, four, five, six of them come out, it's no big deal because he's got a whole nother dozen for next week. But Lee continually uh, told stories, made his point about who Jesus was, the theological impact, uh, how that applies to our life, and then he would just seamlessly jump into another story, someone around him, someone that he read about, something from his own life. He was a master storyteller, and I think those that sit in a church and love to hear God's word are there leaning into the story that leads into the point, and he was a great storyteller. Thank you, Jedediah. Now here is Pastor Leland Evenson with his message, Who Me?, given on December 20, 1987. Lord, we say that word so often in this time of the year, Emmanuel. And yet, sometimes we give ourselves away and that we really don't believe what it says, which is God with us. By our anxieties and our restlessness, 
by our trying to carry the burdens of lives our, ourselves and our frustrations and our lack of joy and jubilance, we really are saying we still have not come to know that you are with us. Lord, in this season, you give us another chance to take away our question marks and to put exclamation points in our lives to make us jubilant and alive in you, to be filled with your life as Mary was filled in a very real sense of the word in giving birth to you. There are people here this morning who don't sense you're with them, are living in an emptiness in their life, in broken relationships in their home, maybe living in sorrow or pain, Come and minister your healing life. Pray for the Campbells that you would minister to them. Your grace, the touch of your healing love in their lives. And so, Lord, to each of us, be Emmanuel this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. Even now. Amen. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? It's an old nursery rhyme you learned years ago. Mary was quite contrary. That's why the Lord picked her. She wasn't just an ordinary run-of-the-mill person. She was contrary to what we may have thought the Lord should have picked. She wasn't highly ed educated. She didn't have a lot of credentials. Uh, she was an ordinary peasant girl. Not a world-famous leader. Not, not a queen. Not the wife even of a president quite contrary to the way people thought that the Messiah would come. And so she had to live in that being contrary to the ideas and opinions of the people. For even years later, they still talked about Jesus as the carpenter's son. They somehow wouldn't believe what she was telling them. And even Joseph at the beginning, she had to live contrary to his belief until the Lord came to him in a dream. Luther said there are three wonders connected with the birth of Christ. One is that God should become a man. The second is Virgin Mary bore a child. The third is that Mary believed when the angel told her this would happen. Luther said the greatest is the third, the miracle that Mary would believe when she, what the angel told her. Mary quite contrary. She was a woman with a mind of her own who would believe and when no one else would, who would accept God's truth and God's promise and took him at his word, bucking with the tide and all that went with that day. She lived willing to sacrifice her convenience and her comfort to be thought of as something less than a woman in order to be the bearer of the one called Jesus. Ziggy, in one of his cartoons, says, I'm not equipped to excel. But God isn't too concerned about that as we see him in picking Mary and many other people throughout Scripture. Moses, who said he didn't know how to talk, and Jeremiah, who said he was too young, and Gideon, who said he was too afraid, and the disciples who were just too much of everything as a motley crew. And yet God picked those kinds of people not because they're equipped to excel, but because they're willing to live contrary to the world, to live in the world and not of the world. And so we see, first of all, in this text today, a tremendous task. 
Secondly, we see a precious promise. And third, we see a submissive spirit. He will be great. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary started a garden. We read in the Old Testament text that God would plant a people, and the first one in this kingdom was to be the one called Jesus. How does our garden grow? It grows till there are millions of people down through the ages who have come to know and to believe in this one called Jesus. She was called to carry the very life of God into the world, <clears throat> to do a new thing that had never happened before, to, to strike out on a new road that no one had ever been on before. And out of that would come the eternal kingdom. She was pregnant with the life of God. When you and I become pregnant with the life of God, we sense a tremendous task to give birth to God in the world. Paul talks about the life of Jesus being formed in us. And we are to reveal God in the world as Mary revealed through the physical Jesus. So you and I are to reveal a real living spiritual Jesus who transforms and changes lives. Tremendous task. William Wilberforce, <clears throat> I was reading about him this past week, took a stand against slavery that Britain was involved in. It was a big business. There were about 5,500 sailors and the 1,500, uh, 160 ships and 6 million pounds of sterling that were being exchanged every year. And for, <clears throat> for 20 years, the first years being all alone, he spoke out against us because of his Christian faith, because he sense that God wanted to give birth through him to the freedom for those people. And finally he prevailed. And for a half a century after that, there was a mighty revival. God has a tremendous task for you. Probably something nobody else is asked to do. To reveal the Lord in a way no one else is maybe asked to reveal him. It may be in a certain place in that office, or in that schoolroom, or in that factory, or in that neighborhood. But you are to be pregnant with the life of the Lord. And your temptation is to say, who? Me? As Mary, certainly in her heart, at the first visitation, said those words. The height of the energy crisis in 1977, the governor of Virginia <clears throat> ordered energy use restricted, restricted in non-essential buildings. No one seemed particularly surprised that churches headed his list. The eyes of the world, as well as many church scores, the church is only a building, an expensive, underused one at that. And so why use the scarce resources to heat it? There are a lot of people who consider the church just another institution, uh, 
a parochial institution, to be sure, that fulfills a worthwhile social and inspirational function rather like an art society or a civic club. Most people could get along fine without it. So they think. In many ways, the church has allowed itself to become what the world says it is. A monument and not a movement. It's not part of the community, it's a whole new community. It's not an orderly gathering, it's a new order with new values and sharp conflict with the values of the surrounding society. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. And so God calls us, if we carry the life of the Lord in us, if you are in that living relationship with the Lord, he calls you to be contrary to the world, to be light and darkness, to be the leaven, to be salt to reveal the life of God in this place and in this time and in this place in the history of the world. Not to be part of a non-essential monument, to be part of a movement that God moves through you into that place where you work and sweat and make decisions and think and create and study and play. Who? Me? Yes. You to be quite contrary. One of the men in our uh, growth group, we had a growth group <coughs> uh, Christmas party the other night, where all the growth group got together. And one of the men was asked to share, and he shared how he, from where he'd come from. That now he'd come to the place when he realizes each day. And, that as he meets each person, he may be the person who is called to give birth to the life of Jesus and that person as people head for a Christless eternity. He's caught a vision of the tremendous task, you see, that is his in his life, that he, where he works and where he moves and wherever he is, that the Lord brings people that he is to meet and he is to be the life of the Lord. He's to be pregnant with the life of the Lord in him that all who touch him touch the love and the light and the peace and the joy of the Lord. Who, me? Yes, you, Mary. Yes, you, Jeremiah. You're not too young. Yes, you, Moses. Yes, you get in, you scared, poor person who thinks you're the least of the least in your self-image really isn't there at all. We're called to be a movement and not a monument. To understand the importance of the message, Tolstoy tells an interesting incident when he was growing up was it the tendency to minimize faith by maximizing routine. And there was a time when he and his sister were staying with their aunt, and she was telling them about Christ. And she told a story, and then she got up to leave the room. And But uh, Tolstoy says we held her back. We said, tell us more about Jesus. She said, I must go. No, tell us more, please. Matinka insisted and. So she repeated all she'd said before. She told us how they crucified him, how they beat and martyred him, how he went on praying and did not blame them. Auntie, why did they torture him? They were wicked. But wasn't he God? Be still. It's nine o'clock. Don't you hear the clock striking? 
Why did they beat him? He had forgiven them. Then why did they hit him? Did it hurt him? Auntie, did it hurt? Be quiet, I say. I'm going to the dining room to have tea now. But perhaps it never happened. Perhaps he was not beaten by them. I am going. No, Auntie, don't go. And again, my madness took possession of me. I sobbed and sobbed, began knocking my head against the wall. Young Tolstoy found it incomprehensible that Christ had been brutalized and his aunt was not interested enough to stay a little past tea time and to talk about it. Nothing of value is ever preempted by trivia. What about you? What about me? Do we convey to the world that tea time is more important than hearing about Jesus? That getting my name in print or on a certain door or a certain income is more important? Do we understand from the story of Mary the task that's given to everyone who would claim the name of Jesus? Or do we minimize faith? Do we maximize the routine? To do what she had not done before, whatever that may mean in your life, to see the tremendous task. There's a couple I happened to read about on the last guidepost who went over to this <clears throat> pretty much the same area that the men and I went to, although they were there for about a month. It was fruit of Ruth and Frank Butler from out east, and he headed up a uh, plant of the Kodak company, the photo company, and he was getting to be about 55, and sounded like the plant was maybe closing, so he and his wife thought they would take a trip and... Uh, kind of sense where their lives were going to go after this and uh, the direction and so they went over to India and <clears throat> Thailand and that area. They ended up spending two weeks in Calcutta working for Mother Teresa at uh, the orphanage and at the home for the destitute and dying. And they thought maybe they were to spend the rest of their life working there because they certainly sense God's love flowing through them and to them. And so they prayed, Lord, is this what you want? But after they'd spent their five days there, they met with Mother Teresa at the end of this stay. And as they walked into the house where they were to meet her, those people, the whole group of them that had been working there, they saw a sign over the steps that read, What I do, you cannot do. What you do, I cannot do. But together we're doing something beautiful for God. So we shared our experiences with Mother Teresa, and when we were done, we said, how can we help? She surprises when she said, I have seen the starving, but in your country I have seen an even greater hunger, and that is a hunger to be loved. No place in all of my travels have I seen such <clears throat> loneliness as I have seen in the poverty of affluence in America. I have seen the rejected, these are your starving, Jesus is within these people, for you've done it to the least, you do it to them. Behold the joy of loving Jesus. Go home and share this joy. And they knew she was right. 
And so they went home, and the story goes on to say the plant didn't close, but he had a whole new idea of the ministry of being the head of this plant with hundreds of people involved, and tells how he began to see people. He saw the tremendous task right on his own doorsteps that he hadn't seen before. So it's not often the call to go across the sea, though that's certainly we need to be open to, but to begin with the tremendous task you have on your own doorstep, to see the starving people, you can see it on their faces, you can see it in their countenance, you can see it in the way they walk and what they share and what they say. Who, me? Yes, you. To be pregnant with the life of the Lord and to reveal him to the world. And so the Lord goes on to give the precious promises. How will this be, Mary asks, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. A few years ago, there was a TV program, Mission Impossible. Mary, should you decide to accept this, as they'd always say in this program, should you decide to accept this Mission Impossible, I will be with you. It will be me acting performing. All I ask you is to be, to be the piano, to be the instrument, to be the tool that I can use, to be pliable, to be the clay that I can mold. Mary had Elizabeth as an encouragement. For Elizabeth was pregnant, though she was 90 years old. And so that was an encouragement to realize that the promises of God proved true that you can trust him. So it has been in my life in the last two and a half years and becoming more confident in the Lord as Miriam and I walked through her cancer and then through her death. I saw those who had walked this way before me and saw God's grace was sufficient, that he did supply all their needs. And so I was encouraged as Miriam to carry the life of the Lord in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of death, in the midst of whatever the Lord puts in our place to carry on that tremendous task because of his precious promise that he is with us. Nothing is too difficult for thee, Jeremiah says. Mary learned to trust his promise. He calls you to a great task. And when you say, who me? He says, yes, you but I will perform it in you and through you and with you. And finally then, the submissive spirit, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. <clears throat> Mother Teresa says, no demand is so unreasonable that God cannot make it of my life. You meet Mother Teresa and you are not impressed by an outward physical being, shriveled up, older lady now 75 or 76 and yet there are how many ministries in India and around the world even in this country to 
because there was one who could say that. No demand so unreasonable that God cannot make it of my life. Walter Luther, a writer, says, Stop all the chattering about Christ and take only a little step, however difficult or even laughably small it may be, along his path. One inch in this direction is worth more than a thousand miles of discussion about him. One little step. Maybe the tremendous task for you is to begin a family altar, to pray out loud with your wife. Maybe, maybe that's your tremendous That's where you start, that little inch of obedience. Truth is not enclosed in a book, but it's served up in walking papers. The wise men found Jesus because they were obedient to the star, while the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests sat in their ivory towers only having a little intellectual kind of discussion, and they never discovered Jesus. The danger is today we do not submit to his will and obey his spirit, and our Christian faith becomes simply a matter of discussion and not walking, of hearing and not obeying. And we wonder why it's so dead and dull and draft. Ralph Pugh. Perleitzer says, monotony is the awful penalty of the careful. And here they took a survey of people who when they got older, what did they regret? That we didn't take more risk. Monotony. Your life is monotonous even as a Christian. It's because you're too careful. You're not willing, like Mary, to be contrary to be obedient with that little step, wherever he asks you to begin, how small it may be. Who, me? Yes, you, Mary. And you, Jane. And you, Jim. And you, Ed. And you, Jerry. And you, and you, and you. The armies of the great Roman Empire invaded England. England stood on the heights and watched those little vessels coming in, thinking maybe they could overcome this great army. But when the army landed, they saw that the Roman soldiers set fire to their ships. There was no turning back. They were there to conquer with that kind of commitment. Needless to say, they did. Beat unto me according to your word, Lord. No provision for retreat. Call to invade the world in that obedience of burning our bridges or our ships behind us. Who? Me? Yes. He is looking today for people that he can touch and make pregnant with the life and the love and the peace and the joy. What we read in the psalm, a jubilant people, a celebrating people, a conquering people, a new people. But the world will know that the church is not one of those things that's non-essential. The very heart and life in its message of what we are called to be.
beautiful story about Solzhenitsyn that I close with. Solzhenitsyn was thrown into a labor camp. He, of course, it was grew up in Russia. <clears throat> Interesting in prison, someone witnessed to him and he became a Christian. But finally, he just kind of decided to give up. He was working in the fields and it was backbreaking labor and slow starvation. And one day, the hopelessness became too much. And Solzhenitsyn felt there was no purpose in fighting on. His life would make no ultimate difference. So he laid down a shovel, he walked over to a bench and sat down. He knew at any moment a guard would order him up and when he failed to respond he would bludgeon him to death, probably with his own shovel. He'd seen it done many times. But as he sat waiting with his head down, he felt a presence, slowly lifted his eyes. Next to him sat an old man with a wrinkled, utterly expressionless face. He hunched over, the man drew a stick through the sand at Solzhenitsyn's feet deliberately tracing the sign of a cross. As Solzhenitsyn stared at that rough outline, his entire perspective shifted. He knew he was merely one man against the all-powerful Soviet empire, yet in that moment he knew the hope of all mankind was represented by that simple cross. And through its power, anything was possible. Solzhenitsyn slowly got to his feet, picked up his shovel, and went back to work, not knowing that his writings on truth and freedom and Christian faith would one day inflame the whole world. Such is the power God's truth affords one man willing to stand against hopeless odds. That's the power of the cross. You're not Solzhenitsyn, but if you know the reality of him, there has to be a tremendous task you sense you need to do. And maybe it begins with that one small step. Maybe it begins in your home, or where you work, or with your relatives gathered in the holiday season. And maybe as you're faithful in that, you will be greater than Solzhenitsyn. Maybe your words and your witness will one day also be heard throughout the world. For who knows? Even the woman with her two little coins we still talk about today. And even that fearful Gideon and Moses who couldn't talk and Jeremiah who was too young and Mary who was willing to be contrary so that a garden could grow called the kingdom of God. Who? Me? Yes. You? If you know him, then there should be in you a sense of being pregnant and filled with the life of the Lord. You are to give birth to wherever you go, day by day. Lord, forgive us that we forget Emmanuel and that your life is to be formed in us. We are to have the mind of Christ to be just so saturated with your life that we walk in your spirit, that we live out your life in us. May we have the same courage as Mary and others who have followed you to say, be it unto me according to your word and your will. For you never ask us to do anything, but you provide the capital and the strength. Lord, rouse us from our apathy May we not be simply a monument, but a movement 
move through this community in this area, in this city, even to the end of the world, through the power of the cross and the presence of your Spirit. Amen. Stand and receive his benediction. As you go on your way, may God go with you. May he go before you to show you the way. May he go behind you to encourage you, above you to watch over you, and within you to give you peace and power and a sense of vision for the task he has just for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once again, I want to thank Pastor Sharma for his time. We will pick up our conversation with him next time on Keep the Main Thing, Sermons and Messages from Pastor Leland Evenson.